0: Amen. Thank you. Let's take our Bibles tonight. Please turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 13. 1 Chronicles chapter 13. I hope that you'll join us again tonight. And if the Lord is willing, I'll be preaching a message entitled, Be the Church. That's a theme that we have selected for 2021. And uh, I'm not going to lay out all the program or anything in that manner. I just want to preach a message, introductory message tonight on Be the Church. Our Our program, if you will, is going to change with what we need to do as a church and and the circumstances around us are changing very rapidly Uh, we are prayerful that next sunday is our last sunday online only that's what originally was promised but you know how those things go we're just going to pray and trust god that whenever he brings us back then we'll come back so our program will change along with what is going on to meet the needs of god's people and meet the needs of our community with the theme, be the church. And so you want to tune in tonight and listen as I share just a, a message about that, an introductory message to uh, that theme for the year. First Chronicles chapter 13, First Chronicles chapter 13. You know, I, I, I would suppose that over time, in, in the last many years of pastoring, the thing that people come to me with the most is, you know, pastor, I just don't feel like I'm where I should be. I'm just not right where I am spiritually. What I should be doing, I'm just not doing. And and I just kind of feel like I remember a day maybe when I was doing more for the Lord. And and we have a lot of used to's in the church, don't we? And, And think about it. Examine your life. And I'm not talking about a change of ministry. I understand that as as we grow older and we change we, we need to adapt to that and you say you know when I was when I was 20 and 30 and 40 I loved jumping on and off a bus and helping with sixty kids on a bus and that was my thing but now that I'm 80 that's just not anything I'm able to do anymore I was able once to go door knocking but I just can't do the walking anymore and and I'm not talking about a change of ministry God changes our ministries as he grows and matures us we've had people that were once youth pastors that now kind of or maybe a little out of touch with teenagers. And so now they're in the young couples, and then later on maybe move on to an adult class. And so I'm not speaking of that, but I'm, I'm speaking about those who just say, you know what, I used to do so much for the Lord, but now I'm really not all that involved. And usually that mark of activity is indicative that really something spiritually has happened. It's not necessarily a shift in activity. Maybe you say, well, you know, I I just kind of lost interest or no, no, it's usually because a a spiritual problem has occurred. Something has shifted and we've become burnt out or we've become uh, tired or whatever. And, And you know, somebody said this, I would rather burn out than rust out, but the truth is you're out either way. And it's not productive. It's not helpful for the Lord Jesus Christ or his ministry. We need to learn how to refresh ourselves in the Lord and have a close relationship with the Lord. And the title of my message tonight is, is this, Required Maintenance. Required Maintenance. Now, I think there's a time that uh, I, I know with my car, and, and, and boy, i I'm got to be honest with you, I hate illustrations. I hear sometimes pastors say, well, you know, it's just like riding a bike. And I'm thinking, no, it's not just like riding a bike. It has nothing to do with a bicycle. We are human beings. But if, if I could stretch this illustration a little bit to help you understand uh, what I am saying, you know, with my vehicle, it, it takes required maintenance. And I have to go to the shop every once in a while, every couple months, get an oil change, and and so we have to put the snow tires on in the first of November and take them off first of April. And, and there's things that need to be kept up on it. We need to change the brakes once in a while. We need to check uh, the, the pads and the rotors, and we need to make sure the belts are tight. And, and all those little things we do with a car, if we get a trouble light on, it tells us that there's something wrong. It's, what it's doing is it's telling us, hey, there's, there's some required maintenance, there's some things that you need to do to make sure everything is running well. And I want to suggest to you tonight that the Christian life is no different. There are some times where we need to do some required maintenance. We need to do some self-examination. I I think every time we come to the Lord's table, that's why the Bible says, let every man examine himself. It's it's important that we stop and we look into our hearts and see, where am I before a holy God? And and understand that whenever we come before a holy God, doesn't matter where we are, we're going to be humbled. Because we're standing in the presence of his glory and his holiness and his righteousness. And so let's look tonight at a character in the Bible, and I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to read uh, the verses for my last point, the very last point of my message. And uh, so we're not going to touch on that right now, but it says something as it encapsulates the life of King Saul. It says something about him in this verse. And you'll notice it, you'll pick up on it right away, but we're going to go back in his life and we're going to do a bit of a character study on the life of Saul. Now, I'll move very quickly through it. It's one of the largest portions of Scripture in the Bible. If you're talking about characters in the Bible that God devoted a lot of time to, we would think of folks like the Apostle Paul. The book of Acts is mainly about Apostle Paul. We think about Peter. The first part of Acts is about Peter and some of the epistles and things. But we'd have to rank... King Saul right up there. There's, there's about 23 chapters in the Bible that talk about the life of King Saul. And so let's, let's look together First Chronicles chapter 13, then we'll get into this study. And I want to draw some principles out for you tonight about required maintenance. And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said unto all the congregation of Israel, if it seemed good unto you, And that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, with them also to the priests and Levites which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may may gather together, that they may gather themselves unto us. And let us bring again the ark of our God to us. Listen, for we inquired not at it. In the days of Saul. For we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. Isn't that a sad commentary? Saul was king for over 40 years. I believe the book of Acts tells us he was 42 years the king of Israel. 20 years prior to him becoming king, the Bible says that the ark rested at Kirjatharim. And from there, we know it went into the home of Obed-Edom Edom, after they tried to retrieve the Ark. and But for 62 years, approximately, the Ark stayed in this tent. It never had a presence with the people of Israel. There was only one time in the entire reign of King Saul where he even refers to the Ark. He said, let us, let us bring the Ark up, and they never, ever accomplished it. But what a commentary on his life. And on his term as the king of Israel, it says, For we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. Let's pray. Father, help us, Lord, as we look at your word tonight. We pray, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts and strengthen us through this character study. Help us understand the the faults and failures of this man that we might not repeat those same mistakes. Lord, the Spirit of God must help us if we're to learn anything so I pray, the Lord, that you speak to our hearts. Fill me, I pray. I need your help desperately. And Lord, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the life of King Saul resembles a lot of people today, unfortunately. Now, perhaps not in the extremes. We understand some of the things that Saul did were very extreme. He, he tried to kill King David, and we'll look at that in a moment. And so you say, well, I, I've never tried to kill anybody. Often that's our, our excuse, well, I'm a pretty good person, I've never lied, I've never cheated, I've never killed anybody, I've never hurt anybody, I've, any sins that I've done have only been harmful to myself. And, and so, But when we look at the life of the king, we, we see a life that is similar to many because he was one that disobeyed God and fell away from serving him. I think maybe tonight or this morning as we think about this thought, you might say, well, I've I'm here, I'm listening, I'm not, I'm not one that has fallen away. And that might be true, but let me ask you, are you as active as you once were? Have you invested your life in the life of another? Are you discipling? Are you encouraging? Are you exhorting? Are you praying for people? Are you, are you faithful? I, re- I remember when I was a boy, a lot of people that came here on Wednesday nights for prayer meeting and no longer come. They're still able-bodied people and have the ability to come to prayer meeting. Let me encourage you in this, it's going to hurt you. I'm not here to guilt you. I'm not here to bully you in any way. I'm just saying that when we do not invest ourselves in the things of God and in the house of God and spending some time in prayer on a weekly basis, and by the way, it's important that we gather corporately and pray together, then we are missing out on some very important spiritual nourishment. It's important that we come. Think about the life of King Saul, the the Bible teaches, and I'm just going to summarize some things quickly for you, that shortly after being crowned king at at Gilgal, he would face a battle against the Philistines. You might remember this in the Bible from 1 Samuel chapter 10, and he was instructed to wait for Samuel before he sacrificed unto the Lord. You remember that story? We're going to read that in a moment, it'll be one of our points. But Saul was instructed. He had already fought a battle with the Philistines and he had won a victory against a portion of their army. And now the Philistines were vowing revenge and they were regathering themselves back in their own nation. And Saul was rejoicing in this victory and he got word to the prophet Samuel. And Samuel was to come and he was to worship with him and have an altar erected and they were going to sacrifice unto the Lord. And Saul worried. He says, I'll be there in about seven days. Well, seven days came and Samuel wasn't there yet. The Bible never tells us what sidetracked him. We don't know if he lost a wagon wheel. We don't know if a storm came and washed out a bridge. We have no idea what kept him from being there. But in seven days, he wasn't quite there and Saul was starting to panic because he knew the Philistines were going to attack again. And he was fearful that he had not given God thanks for the victory. He had not prayed unto God for the next battle. And so he took matters into his own hands and he built an altar and he sacrificed unto the Lord. When Samuel got there, he was not pleased. And he told him that God would not allow his kingdom to continue, but would anoint a man after his own heart and give him the kingdom. Later on, we read again about Saul who would later disobey the Lord. You'll remember that Saul was commanded by, uh, by Samuel, again, I believe it's First Samuel chapter 13, to go down and destroy the Amalekites, to let nothing live. They were to destroy all the people, the animals. They were to kill the king, and the Bible says that he let the king live. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt the message. I, we heard some noise, and we, I think it's fireworks. But we thought, I thought it sounded like gunfire, so uh, it, it startled me for a moment. I'm sorry. Let me get back to the illustration. First Samuel chapter 13, we find that King Saul would later disobey the Lord. He was to destroy all the Amalekites. He was to destroy King Agag. And the Bible says that he kept the king alive. And he kept a better part of the animals that he might sacrifice on the Lord. And for the second time, he was rejected as a king. You'll remember the famous verse, I believe it's in 1 Samuel 15, to obey is better than sacrifice. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, we read of Goliath. Goliath as he comes out of the camps of the Philistines and he begins to blaspheme the name of God and he began to cry out against Israel. For 40 days he did this and Saul never went to battle. He never thought that he could fight against him. He never sent a man from his ranks to, to fight against this giant. Oh, he, he gave a, an incentive. He said if any man would fight him and kill him, I will give him my daughter to marry. But he never took the courage upon himself to go and fight Goliath. We learn that after David is now playing the harp in his courts, that he descended into fits of jealousy over David who killed Goliath. You'll remember David was coming back from a battle and the women were singing, David hath, or, Saul hath killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And Saul was overtaken by jealousy. He threw a spear twice at David and both times David escaped. But for the rest of David's life, Saul would hunt him. Or the rest of the rest of Saul's life, he would hunt David with a plot to kill him. We see just in a brief synopsis of his life that he descended into madness. Can Can I suggest to you that Saul's journey did not start that way? Turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 9. 1 Samuel chapter 9. I want you to see something. You said, well, boy, this is an extreme example. I I, you know, to, to, to suggest that a child of God could to sink that low. I want to tell you that David, Saul was a child of God. The Bible talks about him in, in, in a great way. Saul's journey did not start this way. The Bible says, first of all, he was a godly young man. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 9. The Bible says in verse 1: now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish. The son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of B- Baccharath, the son of Ephai, a Benjaminite, a m- mighty man of power. And he had a son whose name was Saul. Listen to what it says about Saul. A choice young man and a goodly, and, and, and a goodly. A choice young man and a goodly. That means of a good character. "...of a righteous heart." That's what the definition of goodly is. "...and there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward he was higher than any of the people." So not only was he a good man and a choice young man, the Bible talks about his physical stature, how he stood above all the others. This was a young man that stood out among men, but not because of his physical body. I believe it was because of his spiritual one. The Bible says there was not a goodlier person in all of Israel." We see, secondly, that he was humble. Look at verse 15 of chapter 9. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his year a day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow about this time I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin, and thou shalt anoint him to be captain over my people Israel, that he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, because their cry is come unto me. And when Samuel saw Saul... The Lord said unto him, Behold the man whom I spoke to thee of, this same shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, I pray thee, where the seer's house is. And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me unto the high place, for ye shall eat with me today and tomorrow. I will let thee go and will tell thee all that is in thine heart. And as for thine asses that were lost three days ago, set not thy mind on them. For they are found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on thee and on all thy father's house? Listen to what Saul says. And Saul answered and said, Am not I a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Wherefore then speakest thou so to me? Notice what is happening. Saul is about to pass through this town and Samuel God puts upon Samuel's heart, this is the young man I was telling you about. This is the one that will reign over Israel. And so Saul takes him aside and he brings him in and he begins to lay out for him the plan of God and he has a meal with him and he says, You're gonna be the king. And Saul says, But I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm not from the tribe of Judah. He didn't say that, but that's kind of what he's implying. I'm I'm not of the Levites, I'm not of Judah, the kingly tribe, I'm not of I'm not anything special. I'm from the smallest tribe. And my family is one of the least of the families of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, why are you saying these things to me? He was a humble young man. We see more about Saul as we read on. He was anointed by the Spirit of God. Look in 1 Samuel chapter 10. Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? When thou art departed from me today... Then thou shalt find two men by Rachel's sepulcher, the border of Benjamin and Zilza, and they will say unto thee, The asses which thou wantest to seek are found, and to thy father hath left the care of the asses, and sorrow for you, saying, What shall I do for my son? Then shalt thou go on for, forward from thence. And thou shalt come to the plain of Tabor, and there uh, shalt meet the three men going up uh, to God, to Bethel, One carrying three kids, and another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a bottle of wine. So Samuel begins to prophesy over Saul, and he says, Your your father's worried about you. They're donkeys that you came looking for, these these asses that escaped, and that's what brought Saul to, to the prophet in the first place. He says, They're fine, they've been found. And he says, Now your father's worried about you. Where are you? so so here's what we want to do. We're going to confirm this call. I've anointed you with oil. He says, you're going to depart from me. You're going to find these two men by Rachel's sepulcher. And he says, they're going to have certain things in their hands. And he says, then you're going to go forward a little bit further to the plain of Tabor. And there you're going to meet three men going up to God, to Bethel. One carrying three kids, another carrying. So if all these things come to pass, Saul, you'll know that what I speak is true. Verse 4, and they will salute thee. And give thee two loaves of bread, which thou shalt receive with their hands. And thou shalt come to the hill of God, where is the garrison of the Philistines. And it shall come to pass, when thou art come thither to the city, that thou shalt meet a company of prophets coming down from the high place with a psaltery, and a tabret, and a pipe, and a harp before them. And they shall prophesy, and the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee. And thou shalt prophesy with them, and shalt be turned into another man. That's what the Spirit of God does. It changes us. Verse 7. Let it be when these signs are come unto thee, that thou do as occasion serve thee, for God is with thee. Samuel anointed with him, him with oil as a picture of the Holy Ghost, and then finally we see in verse 6 and 7 that the Spirit of God would come upon Saul. But not only that, he was handpicked by God himself to be the king. We already read in 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 17 that God whispered in the ears of Samuel, This is the one that will reign over my people. I just want want to say to you tonight that a lot of people start out the right way. But it's how we finish that matters. Saul started out a goodly young man, handpicked of the Lord, filled with the Holy Spirit of God. God wanted to use him in a great way to lead his people. So let me ask you some questions. How can a man who was handpicked by God fall so far? How could he descend into this madness? How could a man with the Spirit of God be so misguided? But here's the most important question. Can it happen to me? Can it happen to me? Sometimes we make the mistake of looking at the life of Saul with judgmental eyes rather than as a cautionary tale. We can and we should learn from a life, from his life, lest we make the same mistakes. So let me ask you this, what went wrong? The young man we read about in 1 Samuel 9 and 10 is not the same king that we read about 42 years later. The one that descended into madness, the one who was obsessed with killing his successor, David. The one who's consulted with the witch and called up the body of Samuel. The one who the Bible says was just, uh, the Bible says one time the spirit came upon him and he prophesied in the presence of Samuel, but it wasn't the same type of prophecy. It was to humble him. The Bible says he stripped naked and laid in the ground all day and just cried out to Samuel. He was absolutely mad. How does this happen? What went wrong? I want to suggest to you today that Saul failed in some of the basic things in maintaining his relationship with the Lord. And it can happen to any of us. Let me just give you three things very quickly. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. His life started good, but it changed over time. 1 Samuel chapter 15. We've already read or I've referred to some of these passages, but let me read a few for you tonight. First of all, here's the first thing. Saul did not commit himself to obedience. He wasn't committed to obedience. Do you know when we most often get in trouble with the Word of God? When we don't obey it. The Lord Jesus Christ told a parable about the wise man and the foolish man. And we, 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 we sing a little song, The wise man built his house upon a rock. But rock? What is the rock? The rock, the Bible says, are those. he says, He that heareth these sayings of mine, but it's more than that, and doeth them. Obedience. Obedience. is like unto a man that would build his house upon a rock, and the winds came, and the storm blew vehemently, and yet the host stood firm. Because he heard and he did these sayings of Christ. We get in trouble when we don't obey the word of God. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 10, and I'm recounting that story to you. Samuel in verse 1 said unto Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint thee. Now he wants you to go and destroy the Amalekites. And in verse 10 it says, then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel saying, it repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel and he cried unto the Lord. Oh, but Saul had good intentions. The reason he kept all those sheep is that he might sacrifice them unto the Lord. But he didn't obey. He didn't follow the word of God. Saul did not commit himself to obedience, and now he is being rejected as king. And later on in verse 22, I believe it is, he says, To obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken from the fat of rams. God is saying, I I'm not interested in your sacrifice if you're not obedient. I'm not interested in all the things you do, and that's the problem, friends. We try to work and show ourselves good unto God, and God says, all I want you to do is obey me. I just want you to obey me. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's what the Bible says. And that's when we most often get in trouble. You know... You say, well, the Bible's got so many rules. Can can I say this? Man has a lot of rules, but the Bible doesn't. That's often the problem. We have so many man-made rules and interpretations of the rules of the Bible. It'd just be simpler to obey the Word of God. You know, the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ says, let's just start right here. Here's the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul and mind, and love thy neighbor as thyself. Think about all the trouble that would solve. If we just loved God like we ought to love him, wouldn't everything else become a little bit easier to obey him? You don't want to, this, this is such a silly illustration, but I'm going to talk to you anyway. A little while ago, my wife, my wife is a recycling nut. She loves to recycle. And she's here tonight. I'm not trying to hide nothing from her. Um, we could edit this out, but we're not going to. And uh, she loves, you love to recycle. Is that right? She thinks it's important. And by the way, I'm, I'm not crazy like some of the folks that are out there. Well, don't cut down this tree because it's 150 years old. And uh, listen, God gave us these things. I'm, I'm not like that. But I do know that God told Adam and Eve to take care of the garden as well. And so I think we ought to take care of what God has given us. And so I'm not against it. We recycle and we, we put things in the box. But my wife, she would take those toilet paper rolls, and she'd stuff them in this basket up in the... We have a, a medicine cabinet that has a little basket, and she'd fold them up and stuff them in there until it's full, and then she'd go and put them in the recycling box. Well, I don't do that, or I didn't do that for the longest time. I just switched the roll, and for some reason, I don't, I don't know where we have failed as parents, but all four of our children don't know how to change the toilet paper roll. And, and honestly, it's not like... I'd, I. They honestly say to us, it's it's not that we're lazy. We just don't know how to do it. We can't figure out. Come on. Uh, If I'm lying, I'm crying, and and I'm not. And and so often, we're changing that. And I used to just take them and throw them in the car. I I don't care. I don't care. But you know, recently, I went to throw it out one day, and I went, something pricked in my heart and said, do you love your wife? Yeah, Lord, I love my wife. What would make her happy? Folding this stupid roll up and sticking it up in that basket. And I even went a couple weeks later and I said to her, I said, you know, hon, I said, I just want to tell you this. I said, I love you so much that I'm starting to put the toilet paper roll up in that thing. I said, because I, said, I know it makes you happy. Some, I said, when I was all by myself, I said, the Lord just said, do you love your wife? Then this makes her happy. She doesn't like seeing those in the garbage can. She wants to recycle. Didn't that happen? It really did. It sounds so silly. We have a corny relationship. I get it. But the truth is, if we love God like we ought to, obedience comes a lot easier. I'm not, I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm not saying that we're right all the time. I fail. I sin. I, uh, you know, it eats me up inside. But when you love somebody like you ought to love them, what, what is God saying to Saul? Saul, are you really loving God? Because if you did, you'd obey him. Saul didn't commit himself to obedience. You know what a lot of people like to do? Well, I've, you know, I've picked a bunch of things that I like, and so I, I obey them. I think they're good for me. And as a matter of fact, if you want to be a good Christian, you ought to think just like I do. Daniel, these are my standards. You ought to do them too. That's, that's often how we think, isn't it? That's not what the Bible teaches. Martin Luther said that all the commandments of the Old Testament can be boiled down to one thing, the just shall live by faith. Living for Christ, walking in faith, obeying him because we love him. Saul didn't commit himself to obedience. He didn't say, listen, what can I do today to be pleasing to God? What were God's commands? And, 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 oh, listen, listen, I think this will be pleasing. No, no, no. Don't make up what you think will be pleasing to God. Just obey. Just do what he says. If you have a clear word from God, follow it, obey it. Commit yourself to it. Because immediately his relationship began to slip. They began to fail. Turn back a couple pages. 1 Samuel chapter 13. What went wrong? Why didn't he maintain his relationship with God? Number one, he didn't commit himself to obedience. Number two, and this is important, he was careless in worship. He was careless in worship. You say, Pastor, you talk a lot about worship. We're tired of hearing about worship. I'm not. I don't think God is. I was at a meeting once where the pastor says, do you think we'll get to heaven one day? And God will say, you just just spent too much time glorifying my son. You just worshiped me a little too much that day. I don't think so. But notice in 1 Samuel chapter 13, I, I referred to this before. Saul Samuel had or sorry, Saul had won a battle. And now he's waiting for the prophet to come to, to worship with him and to prepare the next battle for the next battle. And it says, and he tarried seven days, verse eight. According to the set time that Samuel had appointed, but Samuel came not. To Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, "Bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings." And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, and that he might salute him. And Samuel said, "What hast thou done?" Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash, therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I force myself, listen, I force myself therefore, and offered a burnt offering. I don't think he forced himself at all. But he makes it sound like he was compelled, he had no choice. He had to do this, verse 13. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. The Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. You see, again, or for, this is even before the last time we read, but for the first time, Saul disobeys God. But you say, what area did he disobey him? He was careless in his worship. You say, what do you mean? Could not Saul offer a sacrifice unto the Lord? Not this type of sacrifice. This was a sacrifice that God who ordained was saved for the priests. But remember, the Ark of the Covenant is not in Israel right now. It's in the Philistines' camp. They do not have a high priest at Shiloh at the tabernacle to offer for the Lord. So in this intermediate period, God ordained the prophets. And the prophets were preaching to Israel, bringing God's word to Israel before it was the priest. But now it was the prophets. And though the people demanded in 1 Samuel chapter 7 that that God give them a king so they can be like all the other nations, God, because of the hardness of their hearts, gave them a king, but he said, I still want my prophet there. And I still want that intermediary, I still want that spiritual aspect for the people of Israel. The king will lead you and he will guide you into battle into war. But I want another man whose, whose hands are not covered in blood. And I want that man, the prophet of God. He will be the one that ministers to you the word of God. And he will be the one that sacrifices on your behalf. And Saul stepped up and took it upon himself to put himself in the place of the prophet. And because his worship was careless, because it was not ordained of God... The kingdom was taken from him. Later on, we read in 1 Samuel chapter 15, when he did not defeat the Amalekites, and he, or when he did not kill all the Amalekites and did not kill all the sheep, that the kingdom was again rent from him. And it was at that time the Spirit of God left him and rested upon David. You say, why is this so important? Because, you know, sometimes we lose sight of the fact that worship is commanded of God. But not only is it commanded of God, the methods of worship are commanded by God. We are to worship him. The Bible says we are to worship him. If you read in the Old Testament, read in the book of Psalms over and over and over again, we are to praise him with the cymbals and the harp and the timbrels and all these things. We're to use music to praise him. I love music, and I'm thankful for good music. And I'm going to be honest with you, I'm I'm tired of every church I'm going into and saying, well, we've got music that glorifies the Lord, and every church I go into, their music's different. It doesn't mean somebody's wrong. No, I don't think so. Instead, we, 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 we fight and we, we, we split hairs over all these little things. When, when God says, I want you to worship me, how? In spirit and in truth. There's two meanings to that. In spirit means that we must be a spirit-filled people. God wants us to come to him. And in order to be spiritual, we must be cleansed of sin. We must keep a short account with God. We must be washed daily. We must take up the, the verse, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We must come in a spirit-filled manner, but we must also come in truth. In other words, what is going on from our lips lines up with our heart. In other words, I think Saul was just putting on a show. He wanted to be sure that he showed everybody, we're going to worship God. But Samuel said, you're doing it the wrong way. This is not how God commanded. You've made an idol out of worship rather than taking the time to worship him properly. You know, we're to approach God in the right way on his terms, through Jesus Christ. Cain and Abel learned that the importance of Of proper worship, didn't they? One brought from the first fruits of the ground, he brought the the vegetables, Cain, he brought them to the Lord, and but Abel brought a blood sacrifice, a firstling of the flock. And God had respect unto Abel's offering, but not unto Cain's. Because we have to come on God's terms. We must worship in God's way. Let me ask you this. How do you worship the Lord? Have you ever even stopped to think about it? Sometimes we say, well, we worship when we go to church. Are you? Worship is in spirit and in truth. Worship is not necessarily a room full of people singing the hymns. It's not necessarily somebody getting up here and offering a special or a piano instrumentation solo or, or a clarinet playing or whatever. It's not necessarily music. It's not necessarily people raising their hands and shouting hallelujah or praise the Lord because we can do all those things with our lips and there's nothing in our hearts. As a matter of fact, didn't God say that? You praise me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. We worship God, we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And Saul was guilty of careless worship. And his relationship slid some more. Let me say this. When we come together as a church, we come here to give to God and to get from God. I don't mean that to sound carnal in any way. We're not here just to have our hand out to God and say, just give me all the money. And It's not a prosperity gospel. I'm not talking about that. But we give worship and praise to God and we receive maturity and strength and edification and exhortation from the Word of God. We come to give and we come to get. There must be a balance. But have you ever stopped and examined how do I worship God? You worship God. To think about this. Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You know what the very next verse says? Speak to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The natural outflowing of the Spirit of God is a song in your heart. It's just natural. You walk around all week singing, humming a tune. Maybe this week you'll have that tune stuck in your head. Thou art worthy, thou art worthy. Thou art worthy, O Lord. That's a good thing. Don't, don't say, oh, pastor sang that chorus and I just can't get that song out of my head. No, no, that's the spirit putting that song in your heart. That's a good thing. Worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Don't be careless in your worship. Here's a third reason. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 13. Back to our text. First Chronicles chapter thirteen. We read this right at the beginning, and it's been a probably about thirty minutes ago now. Seems like longer for some of you, I'm sure. Look at First Chronicles chapter thirteen. Oh, still getting used to this Bible. I'm sorry. Verse three. Let us bring again the ark of our God to us. For we inquire not at it in the days of Saul. Saul failed to maintain his relationship with the Lord because he didn't commit himself to obedience. He was careless in his worship and he failed to inquire of the Lord. He said, didn't Saul pray? I imagine he did. But you know, today in Hebrews chapter 4, the Bible says we can go boldly into the throne room of grace. In those days, that was likened to the Jew praying before the ark in the Holy of Holies. They couldn't go in there. But they could go into the court of the Gentiles and they could face there and they could pray because it represented the very presence of God. God. When they marched around Jericho, it was the ark that was carried on staves by the priests. When they crossed the River Jordan, it was the priests that carried the ark, and they stepped into the water, and the waters stood so they could cross on dry ground. Whenever they went into battle, before Shiloh, a tabernacle was erected in Shiloh, they would carry that ark. And it represented the very presence of God among the people. But for 42 years of Saul's reign... They said to Dave, David, could we get the ark? Because for 42 years we've not inquired. Saul never inquired at the ark. He never worried about the presence of God among his people. He never concerned himself about bringing the ark back from Kirjath-Jerim. You'll remember that it was taken by the Philistines and it traveled around and bounced around in Philistia for a little while. and From city to city, the, they put it in the temple of Dagon and the, the, that idol of Dagon fell to the ground and his arms fell off. And the next day, his arms and his head fell off. I, I mean, they, and they were afraid of it. The Bible says the people were spinning with a plague of emeralds, And so they took that ark and they said, let's take it back to the first city in Israel we find. And it was Kirjath-Jerim and they put it there in bias house, but nobody ever got it. And for 20 years it sat there, and finally it was moved, but never brought back to Shiloh, never put back, never marched in battle before King Saul's armies. He wasn't concerned about having the presence of God around the people of Israel. If there's anything that I've learned is that when we come to church, I want to get in with the presence of God. And I want people in the pew to, to feel like, hey, we're in the presence of God tonight. We went to church this morning, and it wasn't about Al Fearing, and it wasn't about the ensemble, and it wasn't about the choir, and it wasn't about the soloists, and it wasn't about the hymns we sang. It was about getting into the very presence of God and meeting with Him. That's what we desperately need. And Saul, as a leader, fell short because he never inquired of the Lord. His relationship needed some maintenance, and he failed to take care of it. You know, you say, well, that'll never happen to me. The Bible reminds us in the book of Corinthians, wherefore let him think that they stand, take heed lest he fall. You know, just bow your heads and close your eyes right where we are for a moment. Let me ask you this. Are you doing the required maintenance upon your relationship with the Lord? Right now, you can't come in here in the physical presence of the church. It's difficult to get here and fellowship with other people. It's very difficult to bear one another's burdens right now, isn't it? It's just we've kind of lost that that physical human touch. But I'm here to tell you tonight that you can do required maintenance on your relationship with the Lord. You can still spend time in the Bible. You can still pray. You can still get online and listen to the church services. You can still reach out to friends. Pick up a phone, encourage one another, exhort one another. That's that's the ministry that you have. Exhorting one another, praying for one another, loving one another, encouraging one another. When I think about the theme for this year, Be the Church... A lot of my messages are just going to be those phrases that we pull out of the the epistles. Pray for one another. Love one another. Encourage one another. Those are things that we ought to be doing. That's how we can be the church. But a lot of times, somebody, somebody said this, you can't help others unless you're right yourself. The Bible, I think, puts it this way. If a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, resource, such one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself also, lest, thy, lest thou also be tempted. Take care of yourself. Now, I'm not saying put yourself first before others. Don't get me wrong. I'm saying we need to do some maintenance on our relationship with the Lord. Are we obeying God? Just doing the simple things we reading our Bible. We're praying. Are we having a relationship with Him? Are we, are we communing with Him? Are we meditating with Him? Are we careless in our worship? I, I would dare say that a lot of people have not taken the time just to say, well, what is worship? How am I worshiping God? Just because you're standing in a pew and singing a hymn doesn't mean you're worshiping. You can be at home and pushing a vacuum and worshiping God. It has to do with being in spirit and in truth. Let me ask you, have you inquired of the Lord? Have you entered into his presence? Do you know what it's like to to be filled with the spirit of God? Daniel's going to play on the piano for just a moment. Can I encourage you to pray right now and say, God, I want to make some commitments to you tonight that I'm just going to obey I'm just going to try that when I read the Bible and it says to do something I'm going to try to do it when the still small voice pricks my heart I want to listen and follow and obey let me ask you when you go to church you just go through the motions or you actually worship would you commit to worshiping God your heart, your soul, loving him with all that you have not worried about what others might think because you'll answer to him would you commit yourself to entering into his presence inquiring of the Lord boldly in the throne room of grace just some required maintenance we always need to be doing on our relationship with God all of us need it